The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. God, we thank you for your word. Well, we're beginning, we're not beginning, we're actually just taking a couple of weeks' time in uh, walking through what it means to live as a community and live in community gospel love. And so 1 John 4 is the first week, and next week we're going to be hearing from Jack Ambrosius from uh, Lake Lundgren Bible Camp, who's going to be sharing with us from Second Peter, but really talking about what it means to live as a community of love. And as I was opening up 1 John 4 and beginning my sermon preparation this week, rarely do I begin sermon prep belting out a song. But this week was an exception. As I sat down to open our passage in 1 John, this aged fossil, which is one of my sons calls me that affectionately, an aged fossil, this aged fossil sat in front of my computer, opening up 1 John 4, singing an old foreigner song, which may be foreign to anyone under the age of 40. But it's a song that's, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I'm singing that as I'm sitting in front of the computer. I am so bizarre. Thank you for your grace to this pastor. And I belted this prayer because the concept of love Friends, it needs desperate liberating. It needs set free from our world's trap of degrading love into something that starts with us here on earth and ends with us here on earth. We warp love into a very human-centered idea. We create a counterfeit love. Love that's not love, but it's just selfish affection. It's in the songs that you hear from Taylor Swift, It is in the streaming that you watch and shows that the summer that I turned pretty. It's in the cultural water, friends, where love is this. It's a positive attraction to someone and a positive treatment of someone, not because of their essential value, but because instead of how they make you feel about you. I'll give you some examples. I'm drawn to your looks because 
being with you, a beautiful person, makes me look a little better. I'm drawn to your sense of humor because when I'm with you, I laugh and I feel better. I'm drawn to your powerful personality because when I'm with you, I get to reap the benefits of your career or your charisma. But what happens when you age and you're not as pretty as you once were? What happens when you start to tell the same jokes over and over again? What happens when you start treating me like a stepping stone to get more power? This is what we say. I, you know what? I've fallen out of love with you. And you move on to find someone more desirable who can serve me better. We often say, friends, I love you so that you love me. I want to ask a quick inventory question. How many people do you think love you or people you love based on what they can get from you or what you can get from them? It's a sobering question. And the people of John's day, small little house churches are asking a similar question. Do we know what love is? Because there are people within the church, within their church body, who are loving like the world loves for what it gets them. And so far in this little church that John's writing to, loving Jesus has not gotten them very far ahead. It's actually led them to getting demoted, rejected, tortured, even killed. And so some of these people within the church, they're falling out of love with Jesus. And at the same time, they're falling out of love with the people that are around them in the church. But John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he wants this confused church to know what love truly is. You want God to show you what love is? He has. God's love is seen in his son. And if you say you love God, it will be seen too in your love for those around you. Because the father's love is seen in his son, we must display his love by loving as he loved us. What does the Father's love for His Son look like, friends? John, I want you to show me. And He shows us three things in this particular passage. The first is a love that's all about awesome affection. Awesome affection. Second is selfless sacrifice. And the last is perfect practice. First, the Father's love is seen in the Son in an awesome affection. Read along with me, verses 7 to 8. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
we've got to start by asking the question, when John's talking about love, what is he meaning? What is that looking like? Well, the word for love used in this passage is the Greek word, which a lot of you are familiar with, agape. And it's a word whose root means lots or much. And the word agape involves having much affection or lots of affection or fondness for someone. Lots of love, lots of affection to the degree, this is the measure of agape love compared to other loves, to the degree that you would seek the best for that person even at a great cost or expense to yourself. Great affection. This affection is considered awesome affection because it's otherworldly. It's selfless. It's not the way the world operates. It can be only found supernaturally in heaven, found in spaces reaching this limited earth. But we get a glimpse of it. As I remember when my son was born, first son was born in the delivery room, and I heard its cry, and I had this awesome affection for this little one I had never met. And I looked at the nurse, and I said, is it always this way? Like, is this always? She's like, there are holy moments every time I hear that cry. Heaven's awesome affection comes down when parents experience that love for a child. This is why it's so important to John to communicate to this church that when they love one another, they're actually displaying the source of that love, God himself. When you love with awesome affection, where you would want the best for someone at a cost to yourself, it proves that this love comes from a source outside of yourself, that source being God. John practices what he preaches as he, as he writes in this passage. What does he say? He says, beloved, beloving, beloved, beloving. I love you so love. I love you so love. He puts a term of great affection, beloved, next to a command for great affection. Go in love. This awesome affection is a mark of being born again of God, of being born of God by the Spirit. And it's a mark of being in intimate relationship, in knowing God. The people who want to know what love is in John's church, a lot of them are being condemned, they're being unloved, they're being treated not with affection, but with anger, with hostility, with animosity by what John calls the antichrists, those who want Jesus out of religion. And John is encouraging the church, he's saying, Prove that you are born of God. Prove that you know God with your love, even by loving these antichrists. Prove your love. I had an experience a few years back when someone I had known for maybe like 10 minutes cut me to the core. I traveled for my work. I was doing counseling down in St. Louis, and I traveled for my work to Seattle uh, to participate in some group therapy, we'll call it, church group therapy, I guess. And it was called redemption groups. It was groups of about eight to ten people, and we shared different stories. And uh, I had shared in this group 
a bit of my story of struggling with forgiving someone who had really hurt me. Um, and I was, I was sharing that story with, with this group. And um, out of nowhere, it seemed like, this guy, I can't even really remember his face. I just remember what he said. He turned to me with the coldest and the flattest eyes. And he just said to me, there's no love in what you do. And I remember, I just remember being like stopped in my tracks. And the group leader, who was rather new to leading these groups, which you could tell, because he turned to me and he's like, um, he knows it was a pretty bold statement this guy just made. And he said, um, uh, what, do you, what do you think about what he just said to you? <laughs> and and, and I, was, I, was just, I was just speechless. I was just cut to the core. Because I, I knew the connection he was insinuating was the same argument that was made by John. If he's saying to me, there's no love in what you do, then friends, I concluded he was also insinuating there was no God living in me. And I had to take stock of my definition of love. Does my love flow out of the awesome affection God has for me, one of his children? I had to ask that. And I initially began like defending myself. Yeah, there is love in what I do. Here's this. Here's the and then I just stopped. I said, no, no, that's that's not it prove anything. And he just looked him in the eye and I said, I believe the Father loves me. And he's purchased me, undeserving me. And I have to trust that if that's the case, then he and his love are actually in me. So yes, there has to be love in what I do. There has to be love in what I do. But his words haven't left me. I think they're like Paul's thorn for me. That I have to always ask the hard question. Am I loving others because God has an awesome affection toward me, his children, for one of his own that is now part of my wiring? Or am I loving others because I just want to be loved? I want you to ask yourself the same question. Is there love in what you do? God's nature of awesome affection that he extended to you by bringing you back to life, beloved child. So that if we're adopted by God as his children, we have God's nature. And if we have God's nature, we will have the same love, the same awesome affection coming out of us toward those around us, including and especially our enemies who we once were to God. But because of his awesome affection for us, he wouldn't leave us enemies. And so he loved us. This is where we see the second indicator in verses 9 and 10 of what God's love looks like. Selfless sacrifice. In this, verse 9, the love of God was made manifest, put on display, made clear, Obvious to the senses among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you want to know what love is? The cross it will show you is what he's saying. 
The father had such an awesome affection for his own that he was willing to give up his only, which is translated as his most valuable, his unique, his one-of-a-kind, his only treasured son to bring us back to life. Dead ones given a historic display of love on a bloody tree. I want their good at my cost. Friends, in our limited definitions of love, it's completely appropriate to love someone you consider worthy of your love, right? That's easy. Maybe your lovable kids on their good days, right? Maybe your adoring wife on her good day or husband on his good day or your cherished family members on their good days. But what about loving someone not because of what is in them that's lovable, but because what is in you is love? Romans 5, 7 says this, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God manifests, shows, makes obvious his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See his selfless sacrifice in the phrase, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word, propitiation, what does it mean? Two parts to it. First, propitiation involves that God's holiness, his perfection, requires a right response to rebellion, a right response to sin. And what is his response? It's anger. It's wrath. It's justice. That is a right response to rebellious kids. It requires that response. And secondly, propitiation involves a need to put back into God's good graces that person who's deserving of that anger. To be put back in the... To turn God's anger back into pleasure and love. That's what propitiation is all about. Enter his love through selfless sacrifice. His love for us is so great that he knows we're not going to make this right ourselves. We can't make it right ourselves. So he chooses in love to make it right himself. John Stott says this in his book, The Cross of Christ. God's holy wrath needs to be propitiated, calmed, soothed so his holy love decided to do the calming himself the essence of sin he says is man substituting himself for god while the essence of salvation is god substituting himself for man Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God should be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. This is selfless sacrifice. This is the heart of God's awesome affection for his children in salvation. Warren Wiersbe says, In this world, self-preservation is the first law of physical life. But the first law of spiritual life is self-sacrifice. Children seem to know this selfless sacrifice love 
better than us adults. As researchers asked four to six-year-old kids, please define what love is. And this is what some of these kids say. Love is when you go out to eat and give someone all of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Selfless sacrifice. Love is when mommy makes coffee for daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it's not too hot and it tastes okay. That's what love is. Love is when my grandma got arthritis and couldn't bend over and paint her toenails. My grandpa does it for her all the time, even though his hands have got arthritis too. That's love. I drill this definition all the time in premarital counseling. Right, guys? For love to be godly love, for it to be godly love, it must involve sacrifice. But how does it look when my wife and I have both had an exhausting day and we crash in now our warm, cozy bed as it's cold outside and hear one of our children call out, Mom! Dad! What does it look like? What does sacrifice look like? When that great idea you shared with your coworker becomes the reason they get a promotion with the boss because they shared it with the boss and not you. Sacrifice. I had, an int- I had a check of my heart the other day with this when it comes to sacrifice. We were in line at Culver's and not realizing that we had jumped in front uh, of, jumped in line in front of a teenager who was picking out his pint of ice cream at the freezer just off to the side. And we just went up to the cashier and started talking. And she's, and she's like, oh, he was, he was taking, and so I said to the cashier, you know what, we, we got his order. We got him. He's like, he's getting a pint of ice cream. We got it. Thinking it was just the pint. <laughs> and then she asked him, did you want anything else? And he's like, oh yeah, um, I'd also like to get a large root beer float. And, uh, and his order just doubled in size. And my heart felt a tinge of struggle, thinking, that's not what I thought I was paying for. Jesus, oh, Jesus knew the cost. He knew the price of propitiation before he was even here on earth. And he said this, make me human. I will go. Selfless sacrifice. I will go. I know the cost. Awesome affection, selfless sacrifice. How will you know then that someone is a follower of Christ? They practice the perfect Christ. Their practice makes his love perfect. His love lives on in our love. Look at the last two verses. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen the Father's face. No one has ever seen God. Almost as a but there. But if we love one another... God abides in us, seen in us, and his love is perfected in us. John is saying this, loved ones, if you have been loved so affectionately, so sacrificially, then love is the only fitting response in your life. 
John Stott writes again, no one who has been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of selfishness. God's plan is to spread that awesome affection and that selfless sacrifice love in our perfect practice of it. Perfect, friends, in this passage doesn't have to do with complete moral perfection, no. It more has to do with completeness. We are filling up an empty world with the love of the Father. The world has not seen the Father's face, John says. But the world sees his face and sees his grace in our love for one another. He lives there. He abides there. He makes his home in that love. And his love is perfected, completed through us. One saint from way back said this, probably considered it almost heresy probably at the time, Clement of Alexandria said, in a paraphrase of this, the real Christian practices being God through the love we display. The real Christian practices being God through the love we display. In the garden, you will be like God. And what do we display? Selfishness. In mine, I want it. But really, if God wants us to practice being God, what does it look like? We love one another. It is the Father's sovereign plan to prove his love true through all of you. If I were to take my son driving, which is coming soon, and explain to him all the nuances, the rules, the practices of the road, and he were to say, Dad, I get it. I get how to drive. It makes sense to me. Thank you for showing me all I need to know about driving, Dad. And throughout the course of the rest of his life, he never puts a key in an ignition of a car, never sits behind a wheel. Then what does that say about the Father's instruction of love? Our love for one another proves God's love for us to be true. That as the world sees with their senses, with their eyes, this awesome affection and this selfless sacrifice, they see the cross, they see the Father's love as the perfect plan in sending His Son. Saints, the way in which this begins to be practiced and made perfect is not just tasking you with a laundry list. Hey, make a list of all these difficult people that you need to love. Mm -mm, mm -mm, that's putting the onus on you. Practice begins with abiding in Christ, making your home in Him. That when you see your sin, when you see how undeserving of God's love you are, you see the level of affection he has for you in choosing to love an enemy. Remembering that what we need to love more is not more willpower. What we need is to remember we are connected to the source and power behind love. We are connected to Christ himself. And his spirit who lives within us. Move me. Work in me. Help me to see your love for me. So that the love that comes out of me. Is in direct result. I didn't do it. That's you working in me. When you see someone to love. 
when you see french fries that need sharing or culver's bills that need paying or forgiveness that needs extending or children difficult children that need grace shown it won't come unnaturally to have affection for them or take action for them because you'll start to see them as God saw you. You will love them as Christ loved you. Practice makes perfect, makes complete. And God's plan is to use you as his vehicle by which the world sees his face, his love, his grace. Close with this. Dave Simmons um, tells a story, this everyday story of love that involves awesome affection, selfless sacrifice in perfect practice. He took his young daughter and young son to the mall to do a little shopping. And as they drove up to the mall, they saw a truck with a big sign on it that said, Petting Zoo. And his kids jumped up in a rush and asked, Daddy, 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 can we go? Can we see these animals? Please, 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 can we go? And he said, sure. He just handed them each a dollar before walking into the hardware store that was connected to the mall. And they bolted away toward the petting zoo as he took some time looking for some tools. In the petting zoo, little portable fence in the parking lot of the mall, with about six inches of sawdust and all these little furry baby animals of all kinds, just kids paying their admission and sitting, holding with great affection these squirmy little critters while their parents are shopping. And a few minutes later, Dave turns to see his daughter walking along next to him, surprised to see that she'd choose Home Depot over the petting zoo. And he bends down and he asks her, what's, what's wrong, honey? She looked up at her dad with big brown eyes and said, Sadly, well, Daddy, it cost $2 to go to the petting zoo, so I gave my brother my dollar. And then she said the most beautiful thing he said he'd ever heard. She repeated the family motto. Because, Daddy, you says love is action. Love is action. She had given her brother her dollar. But he knew, Dad knew, no one loves cuddly, furry little creatures more than she did. She had watched her mom and dad do and say, love is action for years around the house. She had heard and seen love is action. And now she had incorporated it into her little heart. Love is action had become a part of her. What do you think the dad did next? It's not what you think. He finished his shopping bought his tools, took his daughter back to the petting zoo, and had her stand with him by the fence, watching his son and her little brother go crazy petting and feeding the animals. His daughter stood with her hands and chin resting on the fence, enjoying the delight in her brother's eyes. And the dad said, I had two dollars burning in my pocket wanting to give it to her, but he never gave it to her. She never asked for it because she knew the whole family motto. It's not just love is action. 
Its love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. When you love, benefits accrue to someone else's account. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives. It doesn't grab. His daughter gave her dollar to her brother, whom she had great affection for and wanted to follow through. And she knew she had to taste the sacrifice. She wanted to practice and perfect this family motto. Love is sacrificial action. Look at you. Enjoy this petting zoo. Saints, may this be our motto. Love is sacrificial action. Practice till it's perfected in you, that we may live our vision statement as all saints in its fullness, which says to enjoy and proclaim the grace and glory of God in our everyday lives of worship by displaying the love of Jesus. Love is sacrificial action to the lives of individuals, families, the community of Green Bay, and the world. Awesome affection, selfless sacrifice, practicing till it's made complete or perfect in this world. Here's not my dollar, here's my life, that the world may see him, may know him, may receive him, may enjoy him, may love him as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, do this work of love in us. May there be love in what we do. And may it be because we are born of you, we know you, and we have been convinced of your love in seeing with our own senses and eyes of faith the cost that Christ came to give up himself for us. Love is sacrificial action. Practice that love in us, Lord, until it is made perfect and complete. In Jesus' name.